0: I that the highest king would welcome me. I was lost but he brought me, oh his love for me. Yes, his love for me. Ooh, the ransomed me, His grace runs through. While I was a slave to Jesus died,
1: You may be seated.
2: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. I thank you so much for this day and for bringing us all here. I lift up each and every soul in this room as we prepare to listen and learn from your word. I pray all seeds sown today land on fertile soil. I pray our hearts are softened to to you, Holy Spirit, that we are grieved when you are grieved, that we will not be calloused by the things of this world, but that we would instead be salt in the world as you commanded us to be. O King of the universe, forgive your people for how small we make you at times. I thank you so much for your patience and loving kindness. I ask for your wisdom to fill our minds and hearts as we live in the world surrounded by a culture that glorifies sin. Fill us with fire and zeal for you, but also fill us with love for the lost. Help us be the lights that will guide people to you through our unusual loving kindness, yet zeal and passion for your commandments. Fill us with strength to protect the most innocent among us. We praise you and thank you for what you're going to do as we eagerly await your return, dear Jesus. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Morning. Once again, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Uh, just a couple of quick reminders. Chances are on your way inside, you should have received a bulletin. On the bulletin, we have a connect card and a prayer card. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, please, uh, we welcome you to fill out the Connect card and uh, let us get to know you. Um, also, if your your uh, contact information has changed, go ahead and fill out the Connect card and help us stay in touch. It's also a great way to uh, stay updated with uh, things going on at the church. Now, on the other side, we have a prayer card. It says, let us pray for you. Um, if you or anyone you know needs prayer, anything on your heart, uh, um, we please take a second fill out the prayer card and uh, our prayer team would love to pray for you over the week and um, and with that I'd like to invite up Pastor Scott Schimmel lead us in a message thank you
3: good morning everybody If you don't know me I'm Scott I'm the guy you're stuck with for the next 20 minutes or so and uh, that I love the, the song choices this morning want those great um, particularly these themes of freedom and uh, being set free from this idea of being uh, in bondage. And I'm kind of struck this week as I've been preparing for this uh, with my own capacity for settling with bondage, with my own capacity to compromise and settle with a life that isn't fully what God had promised. I'm, I'm really good at it, the, kind of that frog with a boiling pot of water concept. I allow things to happen in my life that God doesn't want. There are things in my life that I settle with that God has more for me, but I'm quite satisfied with the life that I have. And this morning, maybe just for you and me, there's a wake-up call there that God has more for you too. I want to talk about that idea of being stuck. I was stuck, uh, uh, we were, my daughter and I were stuck several times on Miramar Road. If you've ever driven on Miramar in the last year or so, the lights are just the worst. Like they literally, you're just sitting there and there's nobody and the light is red for like three minutes. It's not like sort of. It's just terrible. You get stuck. And I want to just think about that a little bit, that, that perspective that we get when we are stuck or trapped. Because our perspective can shift depending on the moment and the situation. We went to uh, Big Bear. It was probably six weeks ago now for our kids. They have a ski week, whatever that means, And uh, Poway Unified. And we decided to go up to uh, Big Bear for a couple of days and ski. And I don't know if you have this in your life. I have a mom who... Um, Whatever the bad news is, she like, anticipates that it's going to be worse. I call her Chicken Little. And every time she calls me, there's some, did you, know, did you hear what they are saying now? Did you hear what they said? And I'm always like, who are they? Who are they? What are they saying now? And on the, uh, for the days leading up to this trip, she said, you know what they're saying about this big storm coming into Big Bear? And I was like, what are they saying, Mom, about the big storm? Because I was looking at the weather as well. Uh, and I saw that maybe 10 days before we were going to go, it was going to be like 55 and sunny, not good ski weather. So I was watching every day and every single day it kind of shifted. It was getting colder and colder. And then there was these little things on the weather app that looked like, I don't know what they are, crystals, sn- there's snow. And my mom was calling me days in advance, you know, are you sure you're going to go on this trip? And I said, what are they saying? She's like, it's going to be the worst storm ever. And I'm like, okay, mom. And guess what? It was the worst storm ever. The one time, I, and I called her afterwards, I'm like, the one time, like even a blind squirrel, the one time that you were right, it was an official blizzard, uh, seven feet of snow where we were over three and a half days. And we were stuck, like literally stuck. All the roads were shut down and stuck, stuck, stuck. And it turned out we uh, spent another like 72 hours up in this cabin. Fortunately, the Airbnb, nobody could get up, so they couldn't kick us out. Uh, we were there, and I was able to walk down, literally walk and go get food and come back and forth, and it turned out to be one of the best trips we've ever taken as a family. We were stuck. We were stuck in the mountains. We were stuck in the snow. We were stuck together, watching movies together, reading the fireplace. I mean, it, we had planned a trip that was gonna be pretty intense. Ski, ski, go home, ski, you know, and this turned out to be this wonderful experience of getting stuck in the snow, and a story that we'll remember forever as a family is awesome. A perspective is always shifting when we get stuck places. Uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go uh, and serve one day at Donovan State Prison. Has anybody ever been to and maybe served in a prison for any... I've done it once, and it was a, a, an amazing experience, but I have to admit, it's my biggest fear going to jail. <laughs> uh, my wife thinks I've got something in my past that I'm not confessing yet because I will, when we watch a show and there's like a prison scene, I actually feel I don't know what it is about the idea of going to prison or jail. There's just something about it for me that, that cuts really deep to this core fear that I have. And so I was invited by a good friend and, and she was saying, You gotta come. And I, and I knew. Kind of like going to the dentist. At some point, you got to confront your fears. At some point, you got to go, or maybe you'll find yourself there in a bad situation. So I ended up going, and it was a day of, uh, it was like 40 business leaders going to serve and, and spend a day with 40 inmates. That was the setup. And there was curriculum, and there was this whole experience, and, and they'd been on the inside when working on this curriculum for a few weeks. And, uh, and, and I kind of learned the protocols, and we showed up, and we went in, and you can't bring anything in, no cell phone, which maybe, you know, I don't know if you've been without a cell phone lately. It feels weird, and I we're walking in, and we finally get through all the security, and we're sitting down, and we're in this uh, kind of a gym room, and we're intermingling with the inmates. We're sitting there, and the warden comes up to give an opening speech, and the first thing the warden says to everybody, I'm sitting next to an inmate, just I literally shook hands, nice to meet you. Um, The the warden says, you know, first of all, we're just so happy you all are here today. We didn't think this uh, today was going to happen. Uh, and I'm like, oh, why didn't he think today was going to happen? It's been on my calendar for a month. And he said, because as you probably heard, and he's speaking to us, the outsiders coming in, as you probably heard, there was a riot like a month ago and it's been closed for the last month. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I just happened to lean over to the inmate next to me and I said, just for the sake of argument, if there were some version of that today, what would happen? And he would say, oh. And he turns to me with like a grin and he's like, uh, we'd have a lockdown. And I'm like, hmm. And he said, and you'd be in here for a long time. (laughs) And then he giggled, which really freaked me out. (laughs) And I just remember that sense of fear. I'm like, this is it. I knew it. I knew it. I was going to finally confront my fears, and I'm going to have this experience in prison, which we didn't. We were fine. We got out in a day, and it was a great experience. Uh, But maybe some of you remember this feeling of being stuck and trapped about three years ago. You remember what happened three years ago when we're all stuck inside? remember when uh, the beaches were closed down? Do You remember that? We weren't allowed to go to the beach. I remember the first day the beaches were quote-unquote opened up again. I took my two daughters down to the beach, and it was a, it was a point where you couldn't be at the beach. You couldn't sit. You couldn't stand. Remember? I don't know if you remember that. You couldn't, you couldn't be immobile, and so I was down, and it was a day like today. It was cold, and, and I was certainly not, like, ready to go in the water. The, my two girls were in the water playing because they're kids, and I'm standing there, and, and sure enough, uh, I don't remember if it was a lifeguard or sheriff or something, comes by and says, hey, you can't stand there. I'm like, what do you mean? I, and he's like, yeah, you have to keep moving. So for two hours, I tracked my steps. I walked 15,000 steps, like 30 feet back and forth. I just would walk. I'd stand, and they're in the waves the entire time, and I just stood there and walked back and forth. It was such a bizarre experience. You might remember this, too. They shut down out, the outdoors, not just the beach, but they shut down the outdoors. My son, in that beginning stage of quarantine and, and COVID, uh, got all of a sudden really into mountain biking. It was like the one thing that he could do. Baseball was shut down and you couldn't go outside, no school. And he and his best friend in the neighborhood started to do mountain biking every day, sometimes all day. And we just let them go. We live in a neighborhood in Ranch Bernardo that is adjacent to Lake Hodges and this whole like sandy ghetto park. And just up the street from us is a trail, and you can go off for miles, a long time, long way. And he and his uh, friends, for a couple of days, had kept taking up my shovels up to the top of the hill to a trail to build jumps. At least that's what they were saying. They're building jumps. And my wife and I were like, whatever, as long as he's outside. I mean, that's great. That's great. And uh, it was like day three of uh, of him going up there, and he wanted to show one of us. And I was doing a bunch of yard work. So he convinced his mom to go up and walk up the hill and go see these jumps that he had built. And it was like a couple days after they had said, like, the outdoors are shut down. You can't go outdoors. And uh, so they're up there, and I'm just doing yard work. And all of a sudden I hear, you know, I'm not really quite paying attention, but I, I see a couple cop cars go by. Zoom, zoom. Well, that's weird. Then I, you know, I you finally realize I finally realized there's a helicopter. I just hadn't, you know, been there for a couple of minutes. I hadn't noticed it, and all of a sudden I'm kind of like, I wonder if that's connected. And then I hear over the loudspeaker of the helicopter, "Ma'am," I mean, something like, "Ma'am, you need to return to your house immediately." And then I'm like, "What is happening?" And then I see my wife and my son like speed walking <laughs> straight at the house. My wife's like, <laughs> ashen face, like, "What is happening?" And somebody had called the cops because they saw people out on the trail, and they sent cop cars and a police helicopter. I mean, talk about uh, Handmaid's Tale, like the end of the world. It was so bizarre, and it really rattled us for weeks. Like, what is happening? Where are we? Where does this end? And it was a time in my life and our lives, I'm sure for you too, we were thinking a lot about what does it feel like to be free? very bizarre time that we're still kind of i don't know about you it's kind of it's still percolating there's still something there but again our capacity to go with the flow our capacity to accept bondage our our capacity just to kind of not even really reflect on the ways in which we are enslaved is pretty significant last week was easter and this week starts a new series and steve invited me to come and speak and talk about this one particular verse that's a very, very familiar passage of Scripture, and you can throw it up on the screen. Uh, it's, it's a verse that's used in many different ways, in libraries, in schools, in government. Uh, I want to read it in its entirety, and you'll certainly uh, uh, resonate with it, or you'll recognize it. And it, it comes from in chapter 8 in, in the Gospel of John. And he says this, "'To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, "'If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples.'" And here comes the key verse. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's a verse that we have talked about, we've read. It's literally etched into stone in public monuments. Our daughter, uh, our older daughter, eighth grader, just came back a couple nights ago from an eighth grade trip, the East Coast spring break trip with the school to D.C. and uh, New York and Gettysburg and And uh, she said, she sent a picture, and that was etched into, I don't know what monument, but it's there. The truth shall set you free. We're going to talk about that verse and talk about these really, really big concepts of freedom and truth, and what does that mean, and what is Jesus talking about. And I just want to say, kind of a spoiler alert, he didn't imagine when he said that, that that would be put on libraries. The idea that truth setting you free was not really his intention, this idea of truth in the sense of like knowing things. Really, he wasn't speaking about a set of facts at all. He wasn't talking about science. He wasn't talking about proving things. He wasn't talking about truth maybe the way we typically talk about what's true because these days, what is true? <laughs> Whose truth? Which truth? What are they saying? There's a lot of different complexity and layers to truth. And I know many of us in Christian churches particularly have a particular uh, a, Pension for, like, we want to know what's true with the truth of the gospel. And I want to also suggest, just for a few minutes, that what we're not talking about is a list of facts theologically. Jesus wasn't talking about, like, if you know this, this, and that, therefore then. It really wasn't a formula. When he speaks of truth, he's actually talking about himself. And he can, you can hear Jesus use these big concepts, these big words, interchangeably almost, synonymous words, truth and freedom, the way, the truth, and the life, these big, huge ideas, which on their own, if you want to define them, sure, certainly you can, but Jesus really was using different ways to reflect and express who he was and get across this overall point Wherever you want to access this, you want to think about the way? Sure, let's think about it that way. You're, you're a farmer and, and, and you've got a bunch of sheep? Well, I'm the gate. And if that helps you there, I'm, I'm the gate. If you want to think about truth, okay, if that's where you're coming from, more of a Greek idea, I'm the truth. I am the life. If that's the conversation you have there, this is me. Jesus was speaking to a, a group of people, Jewish, Jews particularly, that's who he's talking to in this particular passage, that believed that life was found and freedom was found in the study of the scriptures, the study of truth. Jesus actually addressed that in John chapter 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. And here's what he said, but the scriptures point to me. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. There's a couple of pieces there to unpack. When he said, to, if you hold to my teaching, the word that he used in the original language was the word that you've probably heard before in other phrases, other Bible verses. It was really, if you abide, if you remain, if you dwell in my teaching. You might have heard that, those phrases, Jesus says it in John 15. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you remain in me, if you dwell in me, whatever translation you're looking at, I will remain and dwell in you. When he talks about uh, believing in him, he's talking about not just this mental assent of facts and figures, he's talking about the, uh, the response that people give when they truly understand who he is. Uh, later on in, uh, in, the, in the Bible, in uh, Galatians chapter five, uh, Paul really takes on the same concept of freedom, and he says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. The entire law can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what I want to pick up on because I think that's what Jesus is getting at. If you hold to my teaching, that's, that's kind of the conditional promise. If you hold to my teaching, if you dwell in it, you really are my disciples. And disciples are different than a learner. A, a, a disciple in his concept is somebody that practices it, lives it, not just knows it and agrees with it or memorizes it. And that's the people that he's speaking to. A disciple was someone who follows and puts things to practice and put, puts things to use. This idea of freedom, I think, is something that we all long for. So how do we get it? It's right here as Jesus talks about. If you hold to my teaching, what's my teaching? What are Jesus' teachings? A couple key things that we're just going to kind of finish on today. Part of it is what Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus models and demonstrates what it looks like to draw near to people again and again through his life, his teaching, his life. He shows us what it looks like to draw near near to people, to intentionally go towards people with love, compassion, grace, and truth. We see him over and over again drawing near. He's intentionally going to places and to people that we wouldn't go to. He's trying to show us that uh, freedom is not just kind of understanding that God will rescue you when you die, but true freedom is enacted and lived and experienced as we draw near to other people. Now, something kind of bizarre happens when we draw near to other people. I don't know if this is true for you. It's certainly true uh, true for me. Oftentimes, when I draw near to somebody else that's difficult, maybe someone that I wouldn't normally go towards, uh, this thing happens to me. I am reminded of my lack of kindness. Have you ever had that? Have you ever tried to love somebody and you found yourself particularly irritated with them? Have you ever, like, really try to talk to somebody and you just like, all of a sudden, you're like, I can't stand, it's just the judgment comes up. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It's confession time for me. I oftentimes, while loving people, realize how unloving I am. There's some sort of reflection that happens back to me if I'm paying attention, that as I draw near to other people, and I'm talking about colleagues, I'm talking about neighbors, I'm talking about family, I'm talking about people in my life, when I spend time with them, I am reminded if I'm paying attention that i'm not as loving as i pretend to be as i claim to be as i wish i was as i think that i am and it is in that drawing near to them that i'm revealed i'm revealed that i have some uh, version of me that is yet to be set free by god himself and it's not all bad i oftentimes i don't know if you've found this when I've been drawing myself near to someone else in love to show grace and compassion and truth, oftentimes, it's not all bad. I find myself like, this is pretty cool. I I find myself, my, my wife has noticed as I've done this over the years, she's like, you seem to like people that are really bizarre. I mean, I'll say things like, gosh, I love that guy. I love that person. I love them. I love spending time with him. She'll see me kind of light up when I see people, and then she'll say that. She's like, there's, they're not inherently like likable. Like, they're actually really difficult people. And I just kind of, I don't know. There's something about them I like. And it's actually, I think what I'm talking about is the experience that I have when I'm loving them, when I'm drawing near to them. And I would just say in reflection, I think it's actually I'm stepping into the flow of God's love. I think that's what's happening. I, it feels like when I do that, it actually, I having this experience, I'm like, this just seems right to pay attention to somebody. This just feels right to reflect back the goodness that I see in someone else, even if other people have a hard time seeing it. When I do that, when I choose it, I actually come away from those experiences feeling closer to God, feeling more in the flow, feeling more like who I'm supposed to be. Look at those two things, just side by side. When I draw near to people, I am reminded that God flows through me. That is a reminder of the free life that God's inviting me to, I also am reminded of the ways in which I'm not done yet. Those two sides. I am loving, and I'm not really loving. I am in the flow of God's grace, and I also stop it all the time. How can those two things be true? The third thing that happens as I draw near to people is that they reflect something back to me that I haven't seen in myself The way in which I've grown the most spiritually is by having deep, thoughtful conversations with people, drawing near to them, spending time with them. And they reveal things to me about who God is that I didn't see before. There's something about doing that that I'm reminded, like I don't know if you've had that moment, I've had many where I think, this is the way things ought to be. In thoughtful conversation with people, doing life with people, there's these moments, they almost catch me by surprise, where I'm reminded and, and, and shown things about who God is in other people. It's like I see little glimpses of who God is in them. And I don't know why it catches me by surprise. you think if it wasn't such a surprise, I would seek it more often. God is in them as he is in me. The path to experiencing more freedom, more life, more truth, somehow Jesus predicts and invites us in this blueprint of loving our neighbor as ourselves. So, I don't know about you. I don't know what that looks like in a practical way in your life. But when I read these words, I want to be set free. I want to live in the truth. And I find myself uh, getting into habits and routines that restrict me. My intention, I do this on purpose, I restrict myself from experiencing that kind of freedom and truth because I like things to be orderly and fixed and predictable. I don't like stress. I don't like to talk to people sometimes. It's stressful. I don't like to be irritated. It's annoying. I don't like to be around people a lot of times because they, uh, it requires energy from me. And yet on the other side of those experiences is the life that God invites us to. There was a movie uh, a few years ago. My kids liked it. It was the Lego movie. I don't know if you've seen it. The Lego movie. It's one of the most irritating movies I've ever seen because there's this one particular song that gets played over and over and over again. If you have kids or grandkids, you probably uh, have heard this song. Everything is awesome. It's this song in the the overall scheme of this movie. It's kind of this like bizarre matrix world where you have to be happy all the time, and everything is awesome. And this whole movie is kind of like a larger parable about um, how easy it is for all of us just to kind of settle with this version of awesomeness and happiness that really isn't awesome or happy, and it kind of gets, uh, it's a, I don't know, it's a profound movie, but the, the song's really annoying, and, and hopefully it's not stuck in your head the rest of the day like it is for me, but over and over again, all these little Lego characters sing this song, everything is awesome, and it just <laughs> bugs me, and I remember thinking about this a few years ago, uh, because I, I was talking to a teacher, and she said, you know, I'm uh, uh, kids have changed over the years, the decades that she's been teaching, and she said the primary way that she's—I said, what do you—you you know, what do you mean? She said the primary thing that I've noticed, and this is a high school teacher, is that really kids think that they're awesome, more awesome than they should, because they're not that awesome. <laughs> uh, They're—you know—they don't know much, and, and and you just you just imagine uh, those of us who have have teenagers or had them, that yeah, teenagers. Think of themselves as in control, in charge, having the truth, knowing everything. I don't need your help. And they really see themselves as awesome. And, and we, you know, collectively, generationally, not your family, but generationally out there, uh, kids are being raised now to really think that they're, they're amazing and they're important and their voice matters. And, and yes, there's so much truth to that. Uh, but for the kids who, at five and six years old, were asked, Where to go for dinner, and where do you want to go on vacation? And and we're invited in because they, you know, that's how we parented them. Are going to struggle when they're 22 and their first job, and their boss is like, "Hey, dude, I don't I don't want your opinion. I want your productivity." Uh, There's going to be this disconnect, and and you know, how do you do both? Is really the question that we're getting at here, and I think the message is wrapped up in the gospel. Uh, There, what I see in Jesus is these like. Uh, opposing truths that he says are true. Like two things that seem like opposites are actually not opposites. They're pulled together. You're not that awesome. It's really the message of the gospel. You're not. You're not that awesome. You're not that loving. You're not that kind. You're not uh, perfect. You're not put together. I heard that when I was uh, first exploring faith in college. And I remember just thinking, like, gosh, these guys really seem, I think it was the church I was going to, like, they really seem to beat people down here. Because I was not taught that. I was taught, just give me a few more minutes. Give me a few more years. I will perfect this. I will figure this out. And I kept hearing this message, like, you're broken. You're you're a sinner. And I was just like, I mean, not really. I mean, do you know? I'll show you some sinners. I'm a pretty nice, productive member of society, I'm a good citizen. And it really wasn't until getting to a deep, deep place of my own lack that the light bulbs of the gospel flashed in my heart. Like, I really thought I was awesome until I was proven to myself that I wasn't. You're not that awesome. And the ways I'm reminded of that are when I'm around other people, I'm shown my impatience. Yesterday, <laughs> I was very impatient, not with her, with the older daughter. And this 14-year-old teenage girl has a way of reflecting back to me that I'm not that awesome. And if you need a little uh, humility lesson, come on over today because she's still tired from her trip, and she'll let you know you're not that awesome either. And Jesus seemed to be walking around to the Jews who had believed in him, to the Jews who were stuck in this version of exile where they knew that God was not, had not restored them to what God had promised them. They were living in a world and a time and an age where Rome was occupying them. They weren't in exile in other foreign lands like their ancestors were, like previous generations were, but they were in a version of exile in their own lands. God was not beating their enemies. God was not restoring everything to its proper order. They were not on top of the world. And yet they had kind of grown accustomed to that. That had become okay to them. And Jesus was confronting that and saying, to those people, I'm letting you know you're not that awesome. This whole thing isn't working out. You, you're settling for a version of the kingdom of God that's not what I promised. Do not settle. There's another king. There's another way. There's another truth. Because the other side of you're not that awesome is God loves you anyways. And not in kind of like the hallmarky. yeah, I mean... He sees your flaws, and I mean, you know, he kind of has to accept you, kind of like your grandma does. Like not that version. He actually sees all of that, and it, and inherently sees your goodness as well. You're not that awesome, but he loves you. And that's the message of truth that God invites us to experience, not know about and agree with, but to experience as we draw near to our neighbor, and seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. So what does that look like for me this week? What does that look like for you? Just want to help you consider, maybe with some curiosity. Maybe it's right after the service and you're stuck in a conversation out on the patio. Maybe it's when you get home. Maybe it's the uh, uh, unreturned voicemail on your phone. Maybe it's the email you haven't responded to. Maybe it's tomorrow morning in the first staff meeting you have. There's somebody there I can guarantee you that is longing for you to bring that message to them, that they're not that awesome, but they're worth the love of Jesus. So what does it look like to draw near to them, to be in the flow of God's love towards them, and to allow yourself to be used by his, by his goodness through you? Would you pray with me? God, we, uh, we are stuck in many ways, and yet you invite us into an experience of freedom with you, you invite us to, an ex- to experience that our chains would be broken, that we would be freed. And I pray for some of us here, those of us who get kind of easily complacent, easy to um, accept the way things are, whether that's our families, our marriages, our relationships. Maybe we just kind of accepted these habits that are a part of our lives, the spending habits, the drinking habits, the whatever they are, and, and just accepted that that's, that's life. God, I pray that you would shake us up, that you would show to us, reveal to us that there's something else for us, that there is an invitation to break those chains, even the chains that we don't even know are there. And I also pray for us, God, that you would reveal the people this week that you want us to draw near, to love as ourselves, the way you have taught us to love, the way you've shown us how to love. Help us to move towards them. And not be uh, afraid or ashamed when we recognize our own faults, our own um, uh, character flaws, but God, to see that as a gift, to see these people as teachers to us about who we are and who we're becoming in you. Help us to become more loving, more patient, more kind. Help us to become more gracious and open. Help us to see and walk into the freedom that you promised. And as we turn now to, uh, return now to worship, and and, uh, consider the ways in which you've been generous with us, and we return that to you through our gifts and offerings. God, I pray that even in that discomfort that comes when we give money back to you, the fear that arises, the anxiety that comes up, the control, I pray, God, that you would uh, lead us into freedom as we choose obedience to listen to your teachings by being obedient in how we give and how we uh, return our gifts to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.
4: You are good, you are good, and there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love, on display for all to see.
3: receive this blessing today. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So do not allow yourself to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. May God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you about how much you're loved. May God the Spirit help you be more loving, more patient, and more kind. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.